So, good morning, everyone. To start to <clears throat> get into and uh, present um, more of the specifics, the nuts and bolts um, around imaginal practice and instructions about meditative practice with images. Um, but just before we actually do, just help to put that again in context and, and make a couple of uh, points, more general points. Um, we said, again, there's so many, so many possibilities regarding imaginal practice in terms of <clears throat> the uh, ways of approaching, the attitudes, um, inclinations, directions, and sort of theories, if you like, that, that uh, support or help direct that practice and set it in different frameworks, slightly different or very, very different. And just to point out, as some of you may be aware, um, many of the modern psychotherapies and psychologies that do include images in the way they work and their approaches um, often suggest or hold to the view that it's really important to in some ways kind of make the images concrete, actualize them or actually make something uh, solid out of them in some way or other. So for instance a painting or a sculpture or uh, something like that or um, sand play, if you know that, or some kind of psychodrama or mime, or even, uh, for instance, in, in the way sometimes Gestalt psychologists work of setting up different chairs in a room and then actually moving, the individual moving between these different chairs as the, uh, and in each chair embodying an imaginal figure or a dream figure, embodying and speaking as if they were from that embodiment of that imaginal figure <clears throat> and then dialoguing between different imaginal figures or between the ego and the, and the imaginal figure by moving between these chairs and dialoguing and embodying. And in those uh, ways of working, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it's, it's um, postulated or posited or supposed that um, in doing that, the whole work uh, with the images uh, is allowed to move into greater depth. Uh, it goes deeper. It is uh, given and allowed more power. It becomes more powerful and has uh, greater effects on, on the whole being, on the psyche. Um, so just to point that out and say that here on this retreat, um, it's not so much what we're doing. We're more interested, I'm more interested in the um, meditative work with images for this retreat, just for this retreat here now. Um, and particularly, um, as, I, as I did say, and I will say again and again, the tuning to the energy body and the resonances and the effects uh, on the energy body, the inclusion of the energy body, awareness and sensitivity is very much a thread and a basis of the imaginal practice. Why? Partly because we're limited in time, partly because that more meditative approach and the sensitivity to the energy body is just more 
a, a bias resulting from my particular training and what I have um, uh, spent most time de developing, etc. But I do also, in addition to that, sometimes wonder whether uh, a making concrete through sampling or this moving between chairs and having uh, spoken dialogues, whether sometimes, not always, sometimes, rather than allowing it, uh, the images to have more effect, actually um, circumscribes the effect and limits it in, in different ways, sometimes. Um, the advantage of uh, the more meditatively focused work, and especially the sensitivity to the energy body, is it allows, I think, a degree of subtlety and nuance of awareness and work and navigation that um, isn't really that possible outside of meditation, outside of the uh, sensitivity to the energy body. So it may be sometimes that this kind of concretizing, I, I should have a better word because I know I use that word to mean uh, taking the images too literally sometimes, but this kind of, this kind of concretizing um, sometimes may keep things a little too gross and keeps the whole imaginal practice and um, awarenesses that are involved at, at, a, at a more gross level than what may be allowed through the meditative exploration with the, with the, with the subtle body, with the energy body. Now, having said that, of course, um, to, to, to reiterate the point that um, images, as we are talking about them, won't be uh, gentle generally speaking, they won't be separate from our life, separate from our acts and what we embody in the world and the way we move and the way we speak and uh, what happens in life and also not separate from our perceptions. Um, so there isn't really a division here. And then something, for instance, like ritual, that whole huge area of, of beautiful potential with ritual, again, we're not really going to get into it at all on this retreat, um, unfortunately. Um, it's also something where I don't consider myself uh, an, an expert. Um, but that would be an example, again, of perhaps the possibility of, of an embodiment, uh, a, a making concrete in, in the good sense, positive sense, and acting out, um, and a transformation of perception that's somewhere uh, between, let's say, the more meditative and the more gross, or rather includes both. So just to point out, we are... There's lots of possibilities again. We're, we're leaning towards the more subtle end of the spectrum in terms of the, the, the awarenesses and the navigation. So that's one thing. Secondly is, uh, and I, I mentioned this briefly, but, but again I'll, I'll want to reiterate it. On the whole, on this course, mostly um, we will be spending, or you will be spending in your meditations, more time with the energy body whether that's um, w in, in, in the groove of the intention of cultivating the samadhi and developing that well-being through the energy body, whether it's in the groove of this subtle attention to the um, uh, em emotional manifestations in the energy body, just the energy manifestations. We're spending, generally speaking, more time working directly with the energy body and focused on that than, than you will with images, just in terms of actual... Um, minutes on the, excuse me, minutes on the clock or whatever. And sometimes with images, um, 
it, it's the case that even two minutes with an image, meditatively with, with an image, can be extremely fruitful. It doesn't always need to be this uh, long sort of 45-minute stretch with an image. Sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes two minutes has so much in it uh, in terms of uh, what it gives the being, how it transforms things, what's possible there, the, the richness of it. Uh, of course, again, there are exceptions to that, and sometimes a person, for instance, practicing, let's say, metta or compassion and using an image such as Kuan Yin or Jesus or, or whoever as their principal method for um, developing and cultivating that particular Brahmavihara, metta or compassion or whatever, um, or even for someone where where an image has, uh, of Kuan Yin, for instance, or some... some uh, compassion-imbued um, imaginal figure uh, arises more spontaneously. That, that may uh, require even a, a more steady bathing, but it's very grounded, uh, as all these images are, in the energy body, as I'll talk more. But generally speaking, there'll be, as I said, more, more time spent working, I think, on this retreat with the energy body than with the images. And one moves back and forth, and I'll explain a bit about that also. Uh, and of course, as always, there are exceptions to that. So let's say a little bit about um, possibilities um, for, what should we say, eliciting images or receiving images. So I want to run through seven possibilities um, that can uh, you know, be employed um, in, in order to, what should we say, contact images. So the first, we've talked a lot about, um, the, the, put a lot of emphasis on this, this track of intention, of the direction of samadhi, of cultivating the well-being in the energy body, and that spreading and harmonizing to whatever degree, and the mind kind of pervading that space of the energy body, filling it out and, and kind of hanging out and marinating a little bit in the well-being. A lot of samadhi practice has to do with this, what I call marinating, just filling out and really being there, very alive, soaking it up, the mind, the body, soaking up uh, whatever degree of well-being is there more steadily and learning how to do that, learning how to play with the Im images, etc. So within that, uh, um, we can delineate two possibilities, actually, in, in, in terms of eliciting images. One is, um, either deliberately or spontaneously, images um, can be in, uh, uh, deliberately invoked or created or may just arise in relation to the energy body itself. We talked all kinds of examples about lines of energy or breath energy in certain ways or clouds of light or um, fire or, or all kinds of things um, and, and many more possibilities. But deliberately or spontaneously, um, images are created or uh, conjured, if you like, or arise themselves in relation to the energy body itself. But in addition to that, um, the samadhi itself is also quite a fruitful sort of uh, um, territory, if you like, of the being, a realm, range of experience for the arising of um, other images of a much wider range than just 
um, about the energy body itself or images of the energy body. So as you get, we go in and out of some some uh, depth of samadhi, whatever that range is. Um, as I said it's a it's an infinite range there. Going in and emerging a little after a while, emerging from whatever depth of samadhi, just a little, and perhaps slightly relaxing the intensity of the attention. In some cases that can be helpful. Emerging a little from this kind of marination and that space of well-being. Relaxing the intensity very slightly of the attention. Uh, and relaxing also the sort of exclusive focus on the energy and texture. Which that exclusive focus is really what makes it more of a samadhi state. Um, relaxing that exclusivity. So we're very much in touch with the energy texture, but energy and texture of the energy body, but we're not solely paying attention to that. And in this slightly emerging, that state then is generally speaking a state of consciousness with more uh, uh, sort of softness and it's more diffused in terms of um, perception and the quality and the feel. And this is a very fertile state. Uh, it's like fertile soil for images to arise in, can be. And uh, some of, I can't remember if I've mentioned it on this retreat already, but some of you have, have heard me refer to a, a, a kind of maxim from the alchemical tradition in the West. I've forgotten who who wrote it, but it says, don't proceed with your alchemical operation. Don't proceed until everything has become liquid. Don't proceed, do not proceed until everything has become liquid. So what does that mean? How can we, um, if you like, translate that to the alchemy of imaginal practice? What does this mean, liquid, everything to become liquid? So in the way I would like to interpret that, um, liquid does not mean um, flow. We tend to think liquid flow has something to do with impermanence, when you see impermanence or something. It's not really, or things are changing a lot, very fast ones in touch with the process or the flow of phenomena. Whatever. No, that's not really what, what's meant, I think, um, or, or the way I want to mean, mean this phrase. Um, it's more the liquidity has to do with the insubstantiality, so liquidity as opposed to solidity. Do not proceed until there's a sense of insubstantiality to things. Now, states of samadhi, um, whatever their range, or deep metta, etc., these are states where um, the perception then on emerging a little or in the state itself is of less substantiality. Um, less sort of density, if you like, of solidity. So that's part, that's part of what this everything has become liquid uh, means. Uh, where the perception of things, of body, of world, etc. is a bit less substantial, um, it's more fertile for images. But the second uh, aspect of this uh, sort of uh, everything becoming liquid, this perception, this sense of everything becoming liquid, is not just the insubstantiality, but the, the sense of um, not quite uh, being real or literalized, so that um, sometimes actually the, the perception of the world and the self and the body, but particularly the, the sense of images as well in this case. And that we know this is not something... Um, 
to be literalized. It also, we know, it doesn't exist independently of the mind and the way of looking, as we've said several times. In Dharma language, it means it's empty. It doesn't exist independently of the mind and the way of looking. So there's an insubstantiality to things, and and we know that things, and in this case particularly images, are, are not to be taken with the same kind emphasis on kind, same kind of reality as, um, say, tables and chairs and physical bodies. And neither are we literalizing an image, and we recognize its image, and it's not independent of mind. So that kind of, uh, this sense of uh, the insubstantiality and this attitude or view um, uh, realization make up this everything becomes liquid. So that's the first. Uh, the samadhi either in relation to the energy body uh, itself specifically or just emerging a little bit having more this sense of everything becoming liquid and then that's a fertile space for images to arise and just hanging out and images can arise in that space. Um, but this attitude or view that doesn't literalize or solidify or concretize or uh, images and realizes they're not independent of mind um, and insubstantiality thing that of things that also that that attitude and view and perception um, comes out of and is implied in emptiness practices. And I know I keep referring to emptiness on this retreat, but I'm actually we don't have time to talk too much about emptiness. So let's just say this: if you're familiar with emptiness practices, different emptiness practices, um, then you will recognise that both this sense of insubstantiality and the attitude or view or understanding imbuing the perception that this is not independent of mind, of not taking it literally, of not giving it that kind of concretizing reality in the perception, um, that is, those factors, those aspects are always there in emptiness practices. And th there's a, like so many things, there's a range, there's, there's a range of degrees of how, how much they're there. What is the degree of insubstantiality imbuing perception? And what is the depth and comprehensiveness of that, um, that deeper view and attitude that realizes everything has become liquid? And this everything becoming liquid can be, as I said, the world itself becomes liquid in this sense. It's not so concretized in the understanding and the perception as, as uh, we usually do in, in our culture, of course, in the human mind naturally. So there's a, there's a range of degrees of, of, of certainly of depth of emptiness practice and samadhi, etc., but of how much um, everything becomes liquid in this sense, so that the more familiar you are, you are with and the more you uh, understand and develop skill with emptiness practices, um, all the way down to really knowing that time past, time future, and time present are thoroughly empty, that space is empty alongside, as well as the self and all things, all of it is empty. Um, everything, if you like, is liquid. Um, this 
these emptiness practices themselves, again, emerging a little from the depth of, of those, those meditations, again, everything is rendered insubstantial, that view of emptiness, of liquidity is really there, and again, it's a very, very fertile uh, space or range of consciousness for the images to arise. And with, with a lot of practice, with, with emptiness practices, um, there can be a very fluid movement, and with the samadhi as well, a fluid movement between either the samadhi or the emptiness practices and the imaginal practices. And particularly with, with a lot of practice, with the em emptiness practices, um, sometimes we can sort of, if you like, decide to go deeper into the imaginal realm um, just by invoking... Uh, some emptiness practice, engaging some emptiness practice or invoking the felt uh, insight there, the memory of the insight or the memory of that depth of emptiness, to let go in that moment of the perception of substantiality, uh, particularly with regard to the body. So with a lot of practice of emptiness practice, one just emptiness practices, one just leans into letting go of the perception of substantiality, and that can take us deeper into the imaginal realm, more more vividly, more alive, more more stable. And that comes as a fruit of of uh, uh, in most cases quite a lot of emptiness practice. And then as I said, one can play with a kind of fluid movement between different realms, if you like. Uh, very, very possible. It's just a result of of uh, approach, learning the right practices, and 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 taking the time to do that, and then learning uh, some skill that way. So that's the second. There's the samadhi, and then the emptiness practices. Um, the third possibility for uh, eliciting, or let's say, receiving images, um, is actually. When we're emotionally upset, when there's some kind of emotional upset um, around for us, then it's possible actually to feel that emotional upset. We've alluded to this already. Feel the emotional upset and, if you like, let it constellate an image. So let the very emotion sort of take form to constellate an image. Now, it doesn't... Uh, it's not necessary that the emotion that we're feeling is even clear or definable. We may not have a label for it. It might feel quite a vague emotion, completely okay, not important. Um, or it might be very clear. We might have a, a word for it. It doesn't matter. Uh, and sometimes it might be that... Uh, an, Im an image constellates or comes out of, as again we alluded to this, a sort of more nebulous, low energy or contracted state, um, strangely can also be a fertile place for images. Um, something is, if you like, tied up in there, uh, and that's tying up the energy in this contraction, and it's, uh, we could say, waiting to be discovered. And that state of, of low energy or contract, contracted say may not be about anything in particular, as I'm sad about this or I'm depressed about that. It may not feel to be about anything in particular. It doesn't need to be. Uh, or, again, we might feel, for instance, uh, <coughs> excuse me, beset by the inner critic, uh, harangued and harassed by the inner critic, and, and in that kind of uh, emotional upset with that. And 
Um, it might be that we let or even encourage that inner critic to take form as an image, to constellate as an image, and maybe there's a dialogue with, with that image of the inner critic. So these territories, these territories of the psyche where we're actually quite upset with something emotionally are also themselves very fertile, can be very fertile. And there's an important factor here, it has to do with, um, again, we've touched on this, and I want to say more about it uh, later on, but the importance then of trusting the, um, if you like, the intelligence of the image, um, so that perhaps even in this inner critic, there's some kind of intelligence operating, maybe, um, but in the image that comes from other kinds of upset, etc., there may be some kind of intelligence, um, if you like, that the image uh, is is. Uh, coming with and expressing some kind of soul intelligence, and we use this word telos as well, T-E-L-O-S, and um, this where is it pulling me, directing me, showing me the way to, and that might not be clear, but there's something about trusting that telos is operating um, in and through and with the image, and an intelligence, a soul intelligence is operating, a psyche and psychic or an intelligence over the psyche is operating in and through and with the image. Even though it might seem that what's going on for us uh, is egoic, um, or this image is an image that uh, seems, uh, we would tend to think of it as not very noble, as egoic, maybe as a defilement, to use a Buddhist word, or something that looks kind of strangely antisocial in its behavior, or whatever, in the image something so crucial about trusting, trusting the image, even it might not fit my picture, I'm going to come back to this, it might not fit my picture in terms of the smaller frames that the mind has arrived at for deciding what's good and bad, and we'll come back to that. But it's interesting here then, because then we have on the one side, so to speak, um, these states of samadhi and that whole range of that, and, and states of um, em- uh, that come through emptiness practices and uh, states of emptiness, if we can use that phrase, on the one side being quite fertile territory. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a lot of samadhi or really deep emptiness practices, whatever. Um, but that whole range. And on the other side, we could say there's the whole uh, territory of, of uh, upset, feeling emotionally upset. And these two ends, if you like, of the spectrum are quite fertile. Sometimes what's a little more tricky in terms of images arising, or it seems a bit more uh, harder for images to constellate, <coughs> um, a little less fertile, is that mid-range between the two, between these more lovely deep states of samadhi or emptiness or metta uh, going deep and on one hand, and on the other hand, the more upset states. Sometimes the mid-range is a little more difficult uh, in terms of spontaneous images arising. But that's three so far. So the samadhi in, in both those ways and that we talked about, the um, emptiness practices, if you're familiar with them. And thirdly, um, the, the, the emotions themselves when they are quite strong and perhaps there's some upset. A fourth is um, simply a listing an image or uh, um, opening that um, doorway, if you like, just, just deliberately and we said this, but just to spell it out clearly, so it could be um, 
uh, a, a deity, perhaps a tantric deity or a Jesus or, or whatever, um, that one's deliberately um, um, imagining, conjuring, and then and then meditating on. <clears throat> it could be a previous image that has come spontaneously that we want to deliberately revisit, deliberately dwell with, and meditate on again. It could be a dream figure or a fragment of a dream that has seemed made made quite an impression on the psyche, perhaps from the night before or even a long time ago or whatever. And we deliberately um, recall, summon up that dream figure and, and meditate on that as an imaginal figure. It could be a memory, as we've alluded to, that, that we, through the way we relate to it and meditate on it, we turn that into an image. And it could be a person that, that we're meditating on, that we know or don't know, um, alive or dead, that again, we're, we're, the way we're relating to them, the way we're meditating on them, deliberately bringing them to, the, to mind, deliberately imagining them, um, that we're making an image out of that or letting them uh, become an image for the psyche. So, as I say, it could be Jesus, could be Kuan Yin, could be um, uh, someone like uh, someone who comes to me, John Coltrane, um, quite a lot. Could be Nelson Mandela, could be, if you know, uh, the, the, the beautiful um, Etty Hillison, who's left diaries in, in uh, Nazi-occupied Holland in the Second World War and was uh, killed, murdered at Auschwitz. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, chronicles and so many. I know I felt very much re reading and rereading so much, going back to her diaries. Um, you know, one feels like she's a friend. She she's alive for me in the psyche. Uh, she's close, like like as if as if I knew her. She's a, she is a, a person for me uh, through her imaginal figure. But when there is a deliberate um, uh, imagining, a deliberate uh, constellating of an imaginal figure, then, and we've alluded to this uh, several times, then partly wrapped up in that is the question of what's the intention? Why am I doing this? Is it for the cultivation of metta? Is it for advice that I'll ask this person for advice about this or that choice, etc.? Or... Is it just because there's so much soul resonance that we want to be with with this image and see what it does? You know, so there's a range, as we said, of why we would even do that, and that's tied into the whole conceptual framework, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've talked about that, and, and we'll return to that whole question. But in terms of practice, there's the the possibility of deliberately imagining and then staying with that image. So that's four. Uh, the fifth is <clears throat> for some people, or sometimes for some people, um, they y use their imagination to sort of um, enter into or go to a, a certain place in the imagination um, where, and in that place, it's the place where they receive images. So somehow going, for instance, down a stairwell and through a door at the bottom of the stairwell into, a, I don't know, some kind of basement or something. Uh, that, that may work very powerfully for many people. Some people don't like that. Um, or sometimes a, a monastery cell, if you like, entering into that monastery cell, that sort of... Um, 
place of of intense practice that contained um, chamber, if you like, like an alchemical cooking chamber, sometimes for that in the imagination gives rise as a place for receiving different images, all kinds of images. It might be a clearing in a forest, that one's in a dense forest and comes to a little clearing, and in that clearing perhaps other figures come out of the forest to meet you or whatever. Maybe a beach, much more open space and sky. Maybe even um, a sort of corridor that one walks down that that, that is op- open air uh, and then from each side there are maybe corridors that join that corridor sort of at right angles and perhaps out of these you're walking down the central corridor and perhaps out of these other corridors come comes an imaginal figure or whatever many the in, possibilities are infinite um, sometimes people cross a bridge into a sort of imaginal the realm of the imaginal, but again, here I would caution a little bit, or not, not so much caution as just um, put in two words for um, uh, to point out a differentiation and to state an inclination. Um, the difference in entering an imaginal realm and then within that realm going on a shamanic journey, uh, which involves moving across uh, great swathes of territory and meeting different figures at different points so it's, it's really moving there's a a narrative journey that will tend towards more of the narrative image just by virtue of moving in time over over a long period of time or over a lot of space and sometimes the down the downside of that is it kind of uh a little bit solidifies sometimes, or can, the danger is it's a little bit solidifies the ego that is making, the self that is making that journey. It's, this, it's this, the journey of the self on this shamanic journey. Sometimes can. Versus actually um, being in a much smaller contained space, um, the, a room or something like that, with, with an image or this clearing in a forest or whatever it is, um, uh, with, with an image and just staying there with that image uh, in a smaller space there's more there's less narrative structure often there and so there's a chance for the image to be more iconic poetic and less uh, there's more relativizing or equalizing of the self and the imaginal figure but potentially uh, there's not so much the self's journey etc so that's the fifth one, to imagine, imaginatively enter a place of receiving images. The sixth one, and this might sound funny, is actually um, catching yourself daydreaming uh, in the meditation or another time. It's actually So daydreaming actually has a way in, paradoxically, uh, for, for a meditative practice. Daydreaming has a way in, but one, one finds oneself daydreaming, and then one actually notices that the at that point in the daydream the resonances are um are more pregnant more soulful they're more much more meaningful and uh that than a usual daydream where often um it's quite contracted or just disconnected or not very meaningful not very soulful one might be daydreaming even in the meditation on the cushion or whatever and then realize oh hold on this, this has a different quality to it there's really some meaningfulness and soulfulness here i can feel the energy opened and the energy body opened so okay no need to just cut it then but actually to bring a different quality of attention 
in relationship to that right there what's happening in in that daydream and just stay with that we turn a daydream into a meditation uh, and I'll say more about that later on but that's that's actually a possibility um, I wouldn't use it as the sort of possibility of choice your principal way of working uh, I would it's more like just knowing opportunistically sometimes of course that's going to happen and then we realize oh hold on this is something actually quite important happening at this moment, even though for the last X minutes I was it was just daydreaming, there wasn't any meaningfulness at all. Somehow a, a corner got turned in the daydream, and now something through the daydream is coming that's actually quite soulful and important, and it feels different, and one notices the resonance and then stays with that. So that would be number six. And uh, lastly, um, again... We mentioned this, but really to reiterate it, because the seventh possibility is actually to open one's eyes in the meditation, because image, as I am using that word on this retreat, uh, as I said last night, um, the image can be the world, or if you say it comes through the world, it's imbued and wrapped up in the very sense perception of the world. It's not so much that an image is present as some inner separate um, visual object or even any, any kind of sense object uh, as something separate from the world that we are perceiving right now. So opening the eyes and actually seeing the world as image imbued with everything that that uh, word means, um, as, as I uh, talked about the other night. Um, so doing that may or may not lead to an inner separate uh, imaginal object. Um, it, it may do that, and that's fine if it does, and good, And but it may not. It may just be staying with that sense of the perception, the sense of the world as image. And, and it's fine either way. Both of them are good. So really not to negate, as I said, in a way, this seventh possibility becomes, if you like, one of the most important um, openings of, and dimensions of imaginal practice. So that's, uh, whether it does lead to a separate inner image or whether it doesn't, both are good. Okay. So that's seven, seven possibilities there. Um... And one one last thing, more more general. Again, to reiterate this thing, probably most people on this course will be spending more time with the samadhi, with the energy body, cultivating that, attending to um, either developing the well-being or just tuning to what's going on in the emotional and energetic manifestation of the energy body. There'll be more time doing that. Um, but also to say with imaginal practice and sort of waiting for images to arise or um, uh, it, it's just really important to be patient um, once you do this a little bit you realize that actually images can arise really suddenly in any moment so it may seem like nothing's happening nothing's happening or nothing's coming if I'm waiting for some kind of image uh, um, and then suddenly it arises or something arises. Or it might seem like nothing is staying, there's little flotsam and jetsam in the mind, none of it really seems right or important, and then something comes, you know. So really what I'm saying is to be patient. That any way you're spending more time with the samadhi and the energy body and that kind of attunement. And uh, but but within that, within the context of magical practice, to be patient. Um, again, 
just a few minutes with an image, two, three minutes can be very rich and very fruitful and it will feel like I actually, I don't need or even want too much more because there's so much to sort of um, resonate with uh, and so, so many echoes left over from this image that I don't necessarily want this um, two-hour imaginal thing going on necessarily. Again, the images may, as we said last night, they may come outside of the formal meditation, sitting in the lounge or the library or standing on the lawn or having a cup of tea or whatever. You know, don't uh, uh, just recognize, know that they, they can come at any time and in any place, whether that's formal or informal meditation. And then the last thing for now, I think, is just to also sometimes, uh, again, we're reiterating, sometimes um, not to get so locked into this idea of an, of an image as an object, um, so much as a separate, discrete object. Rather, uh, we can practice by recognizing and noticing and beginning to be interested in, even inquire a little bit or feel, where is image mythos fantasy alive for me in my life? In, in what dimension, in what realm of experience and perception? And in that sense, the image is not necessarily an object, uh, in, in as, as some kind of separate object that we then perceive. So it's recognizing in my love for this person, in my different kind of love for that person, different image, different fantasy, different mythos alive there, and entering into that, feeling that, rec recognizing it, and, and sensitizing oneself to it. Or in my relationship to Dharma and practice, and the self on that journey, and in relationship to that tradition, and the Buddha, and uh, whatever it is. Uh, or a particular place, all kind, all kinds of possibilities there. And again, this, if you like, is the more uh, deeper and 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 subtler end of imaginal practice. And I, I think, uh, in in many ways, uh, one one of the more important aspects of it. Okay, let's stop there uh, for now. And I'm going to add a little bit more uh, later on in terms of, uh, well, quite a bit more, actually, in terms of practice. Let's stop there for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.